Hi, and welcome to the Fempire Podcast, where we feature the latest updates in tech and awesome women in tech. This podcast is brought to you by This.Labs, a JavaScript consultancy focused on changing the ratio. Hire us. Visit this.co slash labs. Hi, and welcome to our very first episode of the Women in Tech Interviews, um, which is under the Vampire Podcast here at This.Labs. My name is Alexandra Klein, and I'm a marketing associate here at This.Labs. My Twitter handle is at Alexandra Klein, and uh, you could also follow us on Twitter at This.Media for more information. So today, I'm going to be interviewing someone really amazing and a woman in tech who has achieved so many things over the years. And if you're in the tech community or you know a lot about tech, then you might have heard of her. So I would allow her to introduce herself. Over to you, Laura. Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Taco. I am a director of engineering at CloudBees, and I'm also a Docker captain, which is where many of you might know me from. Um, I've been working with Docker since about 2013, 2014, since the very early days, and now work um, for CloudBees as a director of engineering, working on CodeShip and Jenkins X, as well as some other um, some other products, mostly in the CI/CD space. That's really great, Laura. Wow, <laughs> so much under your name, and it's just amazing to see a woman doing so well in tech. So um, this podcast is basically to give an insight to viewers and people who follow up with the whole diversity and inclusion movement, what really goes on um, in the lives of women who are in the tech field. We've seen a recent uprising in the move for more diversity and more inclusion. And we keep seeing statistics that let us know that maybe women might seem like they're winning in some cases, but there's still statistics that show that we're still a bit under the radar, especially in earnings. So um, today we're going to speak to Laura and hear her side of the story. I'm going to be asking her some questions and um, we hope to learn so much from all your answers and your experience so far. So I hope you're ready to share. Great, I'm ready. All right. So um, the first question I have is, how long have you been working at CloudBees? But you already mentioned that when you introduced yourself. <laughs> yeah, I um, I started working at CloudBees through an acquisition, um, which is, I guess, fairly common in the in the startup world. So I um, initially started working at CodeShip in 2015 and have been there. We got acquired by CloudBees in early 2018, which is how I joined the company. Um, I think it's interesting to be on both sides of the acquisition and I've been on um, either the side of the acquiring company or the company that's being acquired, um, but that's how I joined. So I've been there just since 2018, but working on CodeShip um, and kind of part of the same team since 2015. I think I just crossed my four-year mark of getting to know the CodeShip team, which was at DockerCon in 2015. So it feels like, you know, in container years, it's been like 100 container years. <laughs> um, things tend to move pretty fast. So being at a company for four years is somewhat of an unusual thing. Wow, that sounds amazing. And that's also quite a few number of years that you've put in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure it's been super interesting working there, getting to know people and getting to learn more. 
Yeah, it was an interesting transition from um, CodeChip, which was a, a company of about 30 people, and now Clubbees mm -hmm. is at over 500. So there's mm -hmm. just a lot more people to get to know a lot of different functions of the company to understand like what goes into a software company. It's not just sharing. There's lots of other options that are really as important to be successful. Um, and that's, I think, mostly what I'm learning a lot at CloudBees is just how a company operates at that at that scale, 500 people. Um, versus, you know, 30 or, or even 50. Yeah, that's a big change. It's also a lot of numbers <laughs> to deal with and work with. Yeah, oh, that's great. So um, could you tell us exactly what you do? Um, I'd like us to have like a deeper insight into your role at CloudBees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, a great question because I think um, the management path in engineering can often take a lot of different shapes. So maybe to start off with, I'll talk about what I did when I first joined CodeShip, which was a senior software engineer. So I was responsible for writing and shipping code all day long. Um, being as a part of a small startup, there's lots of things that are really important to keep that um, product healthy because it's not just about the code that you're writing, it's about the product and about the experience of, of customers and of users. So um, things like making sure the team is organized, making sure people are learning from each other, making sure we're having retrospective sprint plannings, all of those things. Um, I kind of found that I had more impact on the team as a whole when I did those activities. So that's what sort of led me to go into management. Um, I could have stayed on a technical path and become um, deeper in my technical career um, as a producer of code, but I, I like having as much impact as possible and that just seemed to make sense. So. Um, Right now, I'm responsible for a couple teams, making sure that all the individual contributors on those teams are happy, healthy, productive, learning as much as they can, um, that we're staying organized, that we're, um, I wouldn't say hitting deadlines, but making sure we're accountable to what we say that we're going to accomplish, uh, making sure critical security things are being treated with urgency uh, when they do come up. And of course, they do come up. That's one, one thing we can't avoid. Um, and then working incredibly closely with the product mark, uh, product management, product marketing, design, documentation, folks that are working on the products I work with just to make sure that um, we each know what the other one is doing so that we can get the best version of our product to our users, which is ultimately what it's all about. It sounds really great. <laughs> and a lot of responsibilities as well. Yes, that's definitely true. <laughs> but it sounds like you find it really interesting and you seem to be handling it really well. Yeah, some days are easier than others. I will, I will say that. It's, yeah. not all, uh, it's not all super easy. Uh, it's definitely yeah. a lot of hard work. Um, in order to be effective, I have to like very deeply understand the technical pieces of uh, the work, understand how the code bases are going. I'm on call. Mm -hmm. Um, still as a as an escalation point. So like when you know we operate a SaaS, which means software as a service. So if there's a production incident, I still am sometimes involved in helping um, get the service stabilized and, and incident response. So um, it's a good mix of really technical and then more focused on the strategic parts, which I, I do enjoy. Sounds really great. So I've always wondered, um, were you always passionate about tech? Was it something you always enjoyed or you kind of just suddenly found yourself interested in technology? Mm -hmm. For me, it's been something I've always enjoyed. Um, when I was growing up 
in kind of the late 80s, we had a um, like Atari and then Texas Instruments gaming consoles. And I have an older brother, so he was sort of teaching me how those things worked. And I was always kind of a nerdy kid and then um, got our first computer maybe when I was around nine years old. Um, actual like word processor operating MS-DOS and my uncle taught me how to use it. And I've always been very interested in tech but was not really encouraged to go into a technical field. So my undergraduate is in communications and history because when I was in high school, um, I we had those the high schools that had sort of tracked curriculum where there was one track if you're going into a math or STEM field and one track if you're not. And I remember the conversation being, because I was strong in both subjects, like both strong in math, doing advanced math, and then strong also in English and writing and um, history that because I was a girl, I should focus more on those because it's more likely that my career will be in one of those fields. Um, and then once you're kind of in that track, it was hard to, to get out. But fortunately, after I had graduated college with my undergrad, um, I, you know, nine months later, got my first job in um, like programming and went back to school for computer science. So was able to kind of make a choice for myself later. Yeah, it's 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 actually sometimes it's really mind boggling how um you hear some of these stories and you hear things like maybe family thinks you shouldn't go into tech or people think because you're a woman you should focus on things that are more artsy and mm -hmm. you know things that that usually with the popular connotations around being female would seem to click better because um, I mean now luckily there's a whole change in mindset and people are starting to see that well women can do this as well mm -hmm. you know we're not limited to arts we're not limited to music or dance and neither are boys limited to just math and science they can also explore the artsy side so it's really great that you had you actually had the opportunity to go through both fields mm -hmm. <laughs> which is really great. And then you ended up where you're passionate about, which is like the ultimate goal of everyone who has like something they hope to aspire to in the future. It's, it's, it's amazing. So um, I'd like to know, like, what would you say the biggest challenge so far? Um, or what would you say the biggest challenge for you was getting into the tech field after majoring in communications? Yeah, I think the... The challenge, let me think about this. There's so many. Um, there's one side of the challenge that is just like figuring out what you want to do and making sure that you're supported. There's a lot of people who, you know, it's become trendy. I would say trendy lately to like mentor support women in tech. And there's a lot of people that will try to do that with bad intentions um, just so that they can make themselves look better. And that's something to, to look out for that's definitely a, a challenge. But for me, I think the biggest challenge was just picking what path I wanted to go on. I started out doing front end development and was really interested in that. And then what I found to be very hard was getting from front end to back end. But fortunately, I had found a team that was really supportive and I had some really great mentors at that point in my career. I sometimes think about what would have happened if I wouldn't have done that, if I wouldn't have had those people around me, where would I be now? If I would be on a different path, then the, the question is probably. So I think the, you know, my philosophy has always been just like, 
you know, it's necessary to take chances sometimes or take, take some risks and face a challenge and like make sure that you really understand what you want and maybe take a risk to get it. Um, but definitely make sure you're surrounded with excellent people. But if you're not, you can always count on yourself um, and don't, don't underestimate what you're capable of, I guess is the, the big lesson there. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's great to always feel like you have some backup, some support, and people who have been through something before you to kind of like guide you on the path to where you're going. Mm -hmm. But like you said, there are instances where people don't have the opportunity to um, have mentors or have people lead them, and they're pretty much left on their own. But I do believe in what you said. Like, it's it's all inside you. So mm -hmm. you could definitely push for what you want and you can be successful. But yeah, mentorship, it's, it's really important because it does help shape your mindset. It gives you like a little bit of an insight into what to expect because these people who are kind of like a backbone for you mm -hmm. in, in that moment where you're learning, they've been down before and they've worked their way up. So it's usually nice to have that. But I think anyone can conquer any challenge, you know, alone or with people, as long as you have your mindset on your goals. Yeah, I think for it, it's kind of a system, a systemic problem as well, um, or it can be because I even understand in my experience and the challenges I faced, I'm a white woman who grew up in the United States and now lives in Europe. Like I'm already mm -hmm. I have a leg up on a lot of folks who are trying to do the same thing of being a self-taught engineer, maybe in Africa or maybe in Southeast Asia or in Latin America where they don't have that. Like I, you know, already had some privilege in the game. And I think that's where allyship really becomes important because in order to beat the system, sometimes you have to be, you know, you have to work with part of it. So finding those groups, that community that can help support you is really important. Um, if you kind of feel like it's the world against you, there's other people that feel that way. But if you join up, then it can be a little bit more manageable. That's true. That's true. There are advantages in certain situations when you consider country of origin or, you know, it's, 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 it's a bit sad, but it has to be talked about sometimes. Like, yeah, I mean, people have it harder based on where they are or the color of their skin. There are things that are already put in place in the system. And sometimes it's easier when you have a bit of an advantage by fitting in somehow into that system. Mm -hmm. That's true. Um, so how do you think you've improved in your career over the years? Do you have any tips for newbies? I think they would want to hear some tips. Yeah, I think um, I've certainly improved a lot if I look at my, not just my skill set, but my world, my, my outlook or just my opinions on tech. Um, I think over the course of my career, I've understood that it's less about the code uh, and actually more about the people problems of software. And I've become more interested in solving for how people communicate, how people use the product. Is it solving a problem? Um, are the teams supporting each other versus like, does this piece of code pass all the tests and can I deploy it? Um, those are also interesting problems that they're all rooted in, in people problems. So um, if I had some advice, I would say, take advantage of any opportunity you can to learn from someone. Um, so that whether that's going to meetups, or it's taking an online course or listening to a podcast like this one or um, you know, asking someone for, for 15 minutes of their time, that can help give you a different perspective that then you can use to shape your own perspective and learn more. Mm -hmm. um, there's also, 
I think just get as much exposure to different languages, to different um, architectures, different frameworks as you can, because everything overlaps in some way, even if it doesn't seem apparent. If you have a class on um, Python and you're coding mostly in JavaScript, you're gonna still learn something and take some design pattern away. So everything is related. Um, learn as much as you can and then just figure out what's important to you and, and the kind of developer that you wanna be. That's a really great advice, especially the last part. Figure out the kind of developer you want to be because <laughs> everyone has a different path to follow. Mm -hmm. um, there's always, you know, everyone has a dream and all our dreams are kind of related. You have a million people who want to do tech, a million who want to write, but everyone has sort of like a little bit of a different route. So you need mm -hmm. to figure out what kind of this you want to be. So when you do figure out what kind of developer you want to be, I guess it kind of like puts other things into perspective. So mm -hmm. and then you start to realize, well, this is what I need to know. And this is what I'm really interested in. And this is the aspect I really want to improve in, in tech, mm -hmm. which is great. So um, would you say you had it tougher as a woman in tech? Uh, are there any challenges you've you've faced that has made you feel like um, it's because you're a woman, like a man would have had it easier than you? Yeah, I mean, I think the answer for every woman in tech is like, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and I don't say that to discount. I mean, certainly there are men that have um, issues, but I think that being a woman is has a, a particular set of challenges. Even just as recently last week at DockerCon, people asking me if I'm on the marketing team or if I'm in sales, they don't, you know, they look at me and they just say, oh, well, you don't look like someone who knows what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it is. Maybe my shirt was the wrong color or just, you know, if I'm wearing too much makeup, but of course like there's, it's that stereotype that I always have to be working against um, and, and kind of stamping my foot down and saying like, no, I know as much about this and maybe more than you do. So mm -hmm. let me let me have a voice. But um, it is really hard because I think tech is one of those areas where if you're not on the right team, it's often the person with the loudest voice gets to be the winner and their ideas get to be heard the most. And speaking in broad generalizations, a lot of time men feel very comfortable taking up a lot of space. Um, certainly there are women that do that, but in my experience, it's not been as many. So that's something that's just really hard to create the space for yourself at the table and, and making sure that you have even the opportunity to have your opinions heard because otherwise um, otherwise, it's really hard to, to participate. So um, I guess long story short, Short answer, yes, it's definitely hard to be a woman in tech sometimes. Um, that's for sure, yeah. Yeah, I feel that. And um, what do you think about the current statistics um, that show that women are still underpaid in comparison to men? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not surprised about it. I think that in the individual contributor roles, I think it's maybe becoming a bit more equal, or at least I've seen statistics that show it improving but we still have work to do i think where it gets to be even more pronounced is women after they start having children because mm -hmm. it's still often the case that if there's a you know two partners one male one female and they decide to have a child that the woman is the one who takes the hit in their career and that just sets them back in terms of earnings for the rest of their mm -hmm. career basically um I think there's other things that go into this as well, like the prevalence of remote work has become 
um, really interesting and I think an easy way to kind of have more diversity on a team, but then the um, the question of like what, who earns what for essentially the same work becomes a hard yeah. challenge if someone's in um, San Francisco or someone's in um, rural Germany, do you pay them the same amount? Um, yeah. Those questions are also hard as well as the gender um, gap. I think yeah. one, oh, sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah. Well, I was just going to add to what you were saying. That's, it's really true about um, your location as well. For example, you're not going to pay someone in the US the same, like you're going to pay someone who lives in Nigeria, for example, like me, because you're going to consider different factors like um, cost of living, mm -hmm. cost of internet, transportation. And, and when you do think about these things, it might, it's not as expensive um, as it would be in comparison to someone in the US different currencies, mm -hmm. different strengths. So it's like, okay, well, you know where you are. And yeah, so I, I get that. It's it's usually, that's also a factor. Mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely as big as a factor as the gender gap. Yeah. It definitely is. Um, is it, so one thing that's happened that I think is very positive in a lot of EU countries and a lot of states in the United States is that employers are not allowed to ask what your current salary is if you're applying for a new job is it like that in nigeria as well or is that still something that can be could be done it's still something that can be done i remember going for an interview and um, one of the, the last questions i was asked was well what, what were you earning at your last job mm -hmm. i mean i guess they just want to have an idea of what to offer you <laughs> yeah but just asking what salary yeah. you're expecting for this job is a better way the better, the better yeah. question, because so when I, you do tell them this was what I earned previously, and they're like, okay, let's just sprinkle a little bit. Yeah. Yep. There was a time in my career that I was making probably ten to fifteen thousand dollars less than my male counterparts who started at the same time as me, and some of them didn't have college degrees. Um, and I came to find out the reason was just simply like when I was interviewed, they asked me, "Well, what's your current?" Um, you know, what's your current salary? And I was early in my career and didn't really know not to answer that question because it wasn't, this was at a point where it wasn't, you know, against the law to, to ask mm -hmm. that. So that's exactly what happened is that they just sprinkled on a little bit extra. And then I found out that I had been being underpaid and got crazy mad about it because I, you know, I felt that was really unfair. Fortunately, mm -hmm. my boss felt it was very unfair as well and, and worked to correct it. Um, but I think if that, you know, if that wouldn't have happened, I, it, and it's that consistent, then I'm earning less and then my next job will earn less and my next job will earn less. Um, and I think that's still what happens with a lot of, um, a lot of women, not just in tech, but in any, any field. Yeah, that's true. That's actually really true. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that can be, that can actually be improved in, in so many sections of work. Cause I think this applies not just to tech, but other fields mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So, um, how do you feel about the whole diversity and inclusion movement? You know, when you're on Twitter or on other social media platforms or reading the news, you see a lot of diversity and inclusion um, promotions and movements. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone wants to actually jump on this. Um, do you think it's something that will have an impact on how women are viewed in the industry? 
Yeah, I think it is. Um, I have a lot of different and even conflicting opinions on this myself because I see a lot of this like diversity 101 kind of content still out there um, from quite frankly, companies that should know better or you know, we've been having this conversation for five years already. We understand that it's important to have diverse teams and yet we're still just talking about only women in tech. We're not talking about like the intersectionality of what makes a team diverse. It's not just being, it's not just gender, but like religious affiliation, nationality, country of origin, age, mm -hmm. um, disability, veteran status. There's lots of stuff that go into um, diversity, but we're still kind of focused on the women in tech thing, which I think is a good starting point. But what I think, unfortunately, what happens is that it makes companies feel good. Oh, well, I'm doing my part. I'm talking about women in tech. So check mark on my diversity and inclusion um, list, and then I can move on and do other things. But in reality, you know, some of the diversity inclusion stuff needs to be painful. So one thing that mm -hmm. I do with my teams and has been a bit painful is that I say, I'm not making a hiring decision until I've interviewed diverse candidate pool. In my mind, there's no other way to make sure that I'm getting a diverse team unless I'm actually interviewing diverse people or a diverse group of people. And that means sometimes that I have to say no to a great candidate who I might encounter before I meet that mm -hmm. diversity threshold for me to feel comfortable with making a hiring decision. Um, I don't see, I mean, certainly there are companies that do that as well, um, but that's a, a, a painful change. And like sometimes in order to like make change, it has to be a little bit painful or it has to be a little mm -hmm. bit uncomfortable. Um, I want to mm -hmm. see the industry cross the gap or cross the threshold from being, oh, diversity 101, I can cross the check mark off into actually doing stuff to make their teams more diverse, adding women mm -hmm. and people of color to their board of directors or to their executive teams. Like I still don't see that representation there. I think that's going to take a yeah. long time. Yeah, it might. It might. I was going to ask you the next question. What, what suggestion you'd make to big companies, you know, who are trying to include and diversify their teams. But the last thing you said is actually really true. You know, we want to touch on all these all these areas of diversity. But to be honest, there isn't actually that much inclusion. You know, mm -hmm. it's mostly like, oh, women in tech, women in tech. But are you including LGBTQ? Are you mm -hmm. including people with disabilities? Are you including people of all races and, and backgrounds? That's an important question as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the women in tech Thing is a great starting point and it's a very visible starting point as well um so that you can look at a team and say oh there's all white men on this team what's going on <laughs> um but we have to ultimately get past like just women in tech and also i you know a lot of these boards of directors or executive teams like there just isn't that inclusion yet especially in small companies i understand you know why maybe those people have been there for five seven, 10 years before the diversity and inclusion was a topic, um, but we should start seeing change in other places. So I'm, I'm hoping to see a lot of change in the next five years. That's true. Yeah, we hope to see that change as well. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it, would, it would make things a whole lot better. Yeah. Okay, well, we've had a lot of heavy discussions so far, so maybe we should lighten it up and ask you, um, to share one random fact about yourself? Um, let me see, there's so many. Um, maybe the most interesting fact that people are most surprised about is that I really hate potatoes. I think they're <laughs> really disgusting foods and I really, I don't like, like mashed potatoes I think is the worst food 
on the planet. That is We're actually tough. in Austria. Yeah, it's really tough here. But like baked potato, I, I take that back. Baked potato, I think, is the worst food on the whole planet. <laughs> Mashed potatoes, very, very like close behind. And even French fries, if they're too mushy, I just really don't like them. So. Um, the benefit though, is that whenever I'm traveling or when I'm with someone, I always appoint someone my potato pal because there is potato in everything, especially in Austria. I just kind of slide my potatoes off my plate to this person. Thank you for listening to the Fempire podcast. Find us on our website at this.co. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O. Or follow us on Twitter at this.media. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T-M-E-D-I-A.